God, we now turn our attention uh, to the word of Scripture. We affirm its power. We affirm its truth. We affirm its beauty. We affirm the way that you speak through it. So give us openness to hear the way you will work and you will move and you will speak this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, Turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 24. So along with being Proclamation Sunday, uh, this Sunday is also uh, celebrated and focused on worldwide by Christians as Transfiguration Sunday. It's a Sunday that Christians all around the world Uh, look to the story of the transfiguration of Jesus, what we'll get to in a second. Uh, But this story of the transfiguration plays a really pivotal role in the life of Jesus because uh, it's sort of the moment in which his focus shifts towards Jerusalem uh, and the Passover in which he uh, he will be sacrificed on the cross. And so in the Gospels, at the moment of the transfiguration, things move towards ultimately the death and resurrection of Jesus. And for Christians, uh, this now begins our season of also focusing on Easter, focusing on the cross. And so we begin this season of of preparation for Easter starting this week, and we always start with the transfiguration. And so we're going to get there. But in order to get there, I want to talk through uh, a passage in the book of Exodus. Now, I know what you're saying out there. You're saying, Pastor Jim, uh, we looked at Exodus chapter 24 about six weeks ago when you preached the, the sermon on the glory of Jesus. And I'll say, I know, you guys are paying attention so well and you're tracking so well. Uh, but just bear with me because I think uh, digging into this passage a little bit will help us to understand what's going on uh, with, with the transfiguration. So Exodus 24, now really briefly, uh, just for a little bit of context, Uh, The people of Israel, God's chosen people, had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, but they cried out to God from their oppression, and God heard the cry of the oppressed, and he sent uh, Moses uh, to go and to lead them out of slavery. And so uh, the book of Exodus tells of this powerful movement of the people of God as God displays miracles and uses his power in the way that only he can to lead the Israelites out of slavery from the world's superpower and begin this journey for them into their new life in the new promised land. The first stop along the journey, the first major stop along the journey is a place called Mount Sinai. Sometimes it's simply referred to as the mountain or the mountain of the Lord. And this is the place where God is going to really establish his relationship with the people of Israel. So by the time we get to Exodus 24, the Israelites have left Egypt and they're now gathered at Mount Sinai and they're prepared for this, this kind of next phase of their relationship. In verse one, it says this, then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. So the scene is set here, right? God is calling Moses up on this mountain where he is going to do something. He's going to meet with him. He's going to speak with him. And there's already a sense of almost danger. There's a sense of of mystery. There's a sense of power in this story, right? Moses alone is to come, but the rest of you, you must not even approach. You can read through uh, the next verses here, and it tells a really uh, beautiful, powerful story of of this first encounter, but I want to jump in at verse 12 for what we're doing today. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. 
Okay, so God is going to give Moses some instruction for the people. Then Moses, verse 13, set out with Joshua, his aide, And Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. That didn't end up so well, uh, but that's another story. Verse 15, when Moses went up to the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. And then Moses entered the cloud, and he went up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. All right, so this picture that we're given, this image uh, that we see is that the Israelites uh, are gathered around this mountain and a cloud descends and covers the mountain and the glory of the Lord is present there, right? And Moses is called up to where God speaks from the mountain. So there's, there's a lot of power <laughs> in what's, what's happening here. There's a lot of visual imagery in what's happening here. Uh, but what I wanted to kind of focus on is uh, the response of the people, Right, Because it says uh, in verse 17, to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. So they're there, and they're experiencing something that they have not experienced before. And the way that it is described by the author of Exodus is that it looked to them like a consuming fire. Now, what does that phrase mean? Does it mean it just looked like, wow, he's got a really strong bonfire going on up there, you know, that would really roast a lot of marshmallows. There's, I think, something a little, uh, a little bit deeper going on. So flip with me to the book of Psalms. Uh, the 18th Psalm is where we're going to uh, look because, Kevin, if you want to go to the next slide. In Psalm 18, uh, kind of digs into what this, this phrase means and what it would have meant uh, in this context. So Psalm 18 is this really beautiful, uh, ancient uh, worship prayer, worship song. And specifically, it's a song that David wrote after the Lord saved him from his enemy, Saul. And so the way that this song is structured uh, is the first few verses uh, paint a picture of David in a really, really desperate situation. So starting in verse 3, it says here, I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me in the snares of death comforted or confronted me. <laughs> so here is David, uh, and he's, he's looking around at a situation. The way that he describes it is as if there are these like tentacles of the grave that have come up and have wrapped around him and are starting to pull him in, right? It's like the sarlacc pulling you in, right? This is how David is describing his situation. And maybe some of you have been there, right? Maybe physically you've been at that point where you recognize that things are not heading in the right direction, but maybe you've just been there kind of emotionally or relationally, or you feel like you're in a place in life where the grip of all that is not good is, is around you. The coils have ensnared you and is starting to pull you down and pull you under. And this is where David is, right? And in my distress, verse six, I called to the Lord. I cried to God for my help, 
From his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ear. So here's where things really pick up, right? David is being pulled down into the grave. He's desperate, and so he calls out to God. And the image that is painted here is as if God, uh, and this is all artistic, as if God is in his temple and he hears the cry of one of his people in distress, right? And it's as if God is given the bat signal. All right, time for me to step up and step into gear here. Now, of course, God is present in all things. God is aware of all things. But this is how David is describing his experience. He calls to God. God hears him from his temple. And listen to what happens when God uh, sets his mind on something. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstorms and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. <laughs> And it's just getting warmed up at this point, right? So this is what David is, is, is picturing. The, the coils of death are pulling him under. He calls to God. God hears his cry, and God comes to rescue him. But he doesn't just come strolling through the garden, right? This picture of this warrior, this, this powerful image of a God who is mounting the cherubims, who is coming with one thing in mind, <laughs> And that is to make something right that is wrong. So this is very similar to that divine warrior thing we talked about back in Ephesians uh, many, 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 many weeks ago. Uh, but the picture here, right? David is painting a picture of something that is powerful. Something that is not to be messed with, right? If this God were coming and I was the enemy of David... <laughs> I would be a little bit nervous. I would be a little bit afraid because this God means business. And so this image here, right, that he uses, he says, smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth. That's not a coincidence that those two words are used in the context of God's glory being present on Mount Sinai and now David referring to the power of God that is about to come, right? This is something that you recognize is not to be messed with. Using this phrase, to the Israelites, the glory or the cloud looked like a consuming fire. This is a, a statement that they knew that they're not sure entirely what that is, but what that is is not something that I'm wanting to, to mess around with. This is serious. This is something that is other than me. This is something that is beyond me. This is something that is holier than what I am. And it's something that I don't even want to mess around with because there is power in that thing. There is power in that experience. There is, there is something happening up there uh, that I am not uh, able to impact or influence or control. That That is above me. 
that is beyond me. That is more powerful than me. So this is uh, how it's described when the Israelites see the glory of the Lord on the mountain. Now, if we were to go back to that story, you can turn there if you want, but I'm going to put it up on the screen. Back in, in Exodus 35, so Moses, after God speaks to him, he comes down from the mountain. Things don't go as well as he was expecting. The Israelites uh, kind of did some naughty things. And so, uh, long story short, Moses has to go back up the mountain to get another, <laughs> another uh, set of tablets. But when he comes back down the second time, uh, after being in that presence, that consuming fire, that powerful other than this is the thing that I don't want to mess with glory that's up there on the mountain, it says this, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. So basically what's happening is that when Moses goes up into this consuming fire, power, holy, other than presence of God, glory of God, he's so intimately in that, with that thing that is powerful above and other, that when he comes back down the mountain to meet with the people, he is still radiating that glory. His face is radiant. His face is shining. And look at the response of the people. They don't say, wow, Moses, that is sweet. Look at that. They are afraid to come near him because once again, they recognize that that glory, that is power, that is holiness, that is might, that is something that we don't want to mess with because it is above us. It is beyond us. That glory of God uh, and us are not on the same level, right? This is something more. So I think what we can say as we, we look at this story of Exodus, and there's a lot of details that we could dig into, but just on a really basic observation of what's happening here. As the Israelites see and experience the glory of God, this consuming fire on top of the mountain, then as Moses goes up and comes back down and is still glowing and radiating that glory and that power and that might, they're afraid. I would say this, the beauty, glory, justice, holiness, righteousness, truth, and power of God's presence demands reverence and submission. The Israelites are responding exactly as they should respond when faced with this powerful presence of God, is to recognize that this God is above us. This is sort of the definition of one of my favorite words, the word finitude. And it's not only fun to say, <laughs> finitude, but the meaning of this word has been really helpful for me in my spiritual growth. Uh, finitude is simply this acknowledgement that I am finite. <laughs> that there are limitations to who I am. There are limitations to my knowledge, to my abilities, to my power, and that I am finite and there is something that is not finite, that God, the personal God, is not. And so my finitude, when it constantly bumps up to that level of this is what I can know and experience, this is where my power stops, I'm constantly reminded of my smallness in God's bigness. 
This is what the Israelites were experiencing on Sinai, finitude. And the correct response to finitude is reverence and submission. Because if there is a God who is holy and just and powerful and beyond and other than, the only proper way that I can be in relationship is to recognize that and to submit myself out of a sort of holy reverence to that God. So this is Sinai. This is Exodus chapter 24. Now, let's flip over to our main text today, which is Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17 is Matthew's account of the transfiguration of Jesus. And if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you're probably generally familiar with this story. I want to point out a couple things as as we work through uh, what's going on here. Now keep in mind everything we just talked about in Exodus chapter 24 and 34. Because in Matthew chapter 17, I think you'll see some echoes of that story here. It says, in verse 1, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. So, once again, we have a mountain, right? And we have these people who are up on the mountain, and they are generally alone on the mountain. They didn't bring the whole group, but the whole group stayed back. But Jesus is up there with this small group of his disciples. This is uh, Mount Hermon in uh, Galilee. This is likely one of the places where uh, this event took place. And so they're up there, uh, and he leads them up to a high mountain. And there, simply it says, there he was transfigured before them. Thanks for the details, right? Uh, Transfigured simply literally means to be transformed. This is the same Greek word that's used, if you're familiar with Uh, like the passage in Romans where it says, do not be conformed to the power of the world, but be transformed, right? That's the same word that's being used here. So it simply means to be changed uh, in essence, in appearance, right? And so there he was transfigured before them. Now listen to this. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as the light. And just then there appeared before him, before them, Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Okay, so there's a lot of details here that we don't really have time to dig into in the whole Moses and Elijah thing. That's a whole other story. But I think if we're paying attention to Exodus chapter 24, when we read what's happening in Matthew chapter 17, we're seeing some connections here, right? That we see that Jesus goes up to the mountain, right, where Moses went up on the mountain. We see Jesus shining, his face becomes radiant, We see that Moses and Elijah are there just as Moses was there in the first one. There's obviously, I think Matthew is trying to draw our attention to some similarities between what happened in Exodus 24 and what's happening here. And that'll all kind of come into play in just a second. In verse four, Peter said to Jesus, "Uh, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, Uh, I think here Peter's just saying something because he doesn't quite know what to say because he recognizes that what he is experiencing is something unique and powerful. Peter recognizes that what is happening in his midst right now is something other than what he has ever experienced before, right? He's been with Jesus. 
He's seen the fish. He's seen the bread. He's seen the water. He's seen all of this stuff. But this is something different. The presence of Jesus as it transforms, right? The presence of Moses and Elijah. He knows that there is something here. And I think that Peter is making this connection. That, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Mountain, shining, glory. Wait a second. Where have I read this before, right? And so he just kind of tries to roll with it at first. <laughs> and he tries to kind of play it off as, okay, I'm cool here. You know, I can handle this. This is, this is nice. nothing's getting me. But here's where things really start to, <laughs> start to pick up. While he was still speaking, verse 5, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So if you weren't convinced yet that what's happening on Mount Hermon where this Mount of Transfiguration is similar to what was happening with Moses on Mount Sinai, I hope that this is kind of affirming. What these guys are experiencing is nothing less than the glory of God. Just as Moses experienced the glory of God on Mount Sinai, this consuming fire, this terrifying, radiant, beautiful, powerful thing. This is what Peter, James, and John are experiencing. This is the glory of God. The very glory of the very God. Different mountain, different time, same God, same glory. And when they hear this voice speaking from the cloud... Just as Moses heard a voice speaking from the cloud, suddenly, and we'll see in this next verse, things change. (laughs) From Peter trying to roll with it and be cool and look like the guy who has it all together, to suddenly Peter doing the only thing that Peter can do in a situation like this. When the disciples heard this, verse 6, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. (laughs) when the glory of God speaks, Peter goes from being able to roll with it to suddenly doing the only thing that you can do. (laughs) I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't, right? Pure terror and fear. But not in a scared way, (laughs) in a reverent way. Peter recognizes that when faced with the power and the glory of God, the only proper response is reverent submission. And this is exactly what Peter does. He puts his face down to the ground. I am not worthy of this. This is beyond me. This is other than me. Moses, cover your face. We can't see this glory and live. To the Israelites, the glory of God looked like an all-consuming fire. (laughs) When Peter hears the voice speak from the cloud, he goes from the guy who has it all together to the guy who can only do fetal position on the ground. I'm not worthy of this. This is beyond me. This is other than me. Peter recognizes (laughs) the same thing that the Israelites recognize that the beauty, glory, justice, holiness, righteousness, truth, and power of God's presence demands reverence and submission. 
this is above me. This is beyond me. I can only submit to this finitude. The limits of my power are met and displayed very strongly when the presence of God speaks. And the only proper response is reverence and submission. I'm not worthy of this. This God is beyond me. And if the story ended like that, we'd have a good reminder of the power of God and we'd all be reminded to constantly be aware of that, which is a good thing. But the story doesn't end that way. Verse seven. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. So Peter, James, and John have this experience with the power of God. They're faced with their limited ability. They're faced with glory and power and beauty and justice that demands reverence and submission. And they do the only thing that they can do. They fall face down. But then Jesus, the presence of God, God himself, comes to these guys and he touches them. He says, don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid. Get up. So here we see something really, really important if we want to understand God. And that is that the power in the presence of God as revealed on that mountain, is something that is holy and demands reverence and submission. Yet what we also see is the presence of God in Jesus offering gentle comfort and reminding these disciples that he's there, he's present. They don't have to be afraid because he is with them. And so just as the beauty, glory, justice, holiness, righteousness, truth, the power of God's presence demands reverence, submission, reverence and submission, we're also reminded that the gentle, humble, comforting, healing, and gracious touch of God's presence offers peace. And we see on this mountaintop, in many ways, the fullness of who God is. God is other than. God is holy. God demands reverent submission. God is gentle, humble, comforting, healing, and full of grace. And on this mountain, we see both of those things fully present in this moment. You don't have to pick or choose with God. It's not as if on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, God is holy and powerful, and on Tuesdays, whatever other days I didn't say, he's gracious and loving, and so act accordingly, right? 
But we see here this reality that God is. <laughs> this combination, this intersection, this dual reality. He is never not holy and other and beautiful and powerful and mighty and just. And he is never not gracious and healing and comforting. This is who God is. And I think sometimes it's important for us to remember that. And I think the, the reality is that throughout our lives, we find ourselves at different places and at, at different times and at different points, and there's things going on in your life right now, right? There's stuff going on at home. There's stuff going on at work. There's stuff going on in here, right? And sometimes we need to be people who are reminded just like the Israelites, just like Peter, <laughs> that there is uh, the responsibility of the Christian to be submissive to the power of God. We need to be people who are constantly reminding ourselves that we don't get to be the boss. <laughs> as much as you think you're good at it, <laughs> you don't get to be the boss. You don't get to make the rules, <laughs> right? This is where scripture comes in as this guide to help us to understand, right? And sometimes we need to be reminded like Peter was that, yeah, we're kind of playing it cool here and acting like we got it all together. And, oh, let's make these tents. This is good. This is cool. It's fine. Nothing's wrong here, Jesus. We should be here. Boom, <laughs> right? Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need to be reminded that the proper response to the holiness of God is reverent submission. And maybe for you right now, that's what you need to be reminded of. Maybe you've kind of fallen into this routine of saying, well, you know, I'm pretty good at making decisions and making rules, and I'm pretty good at deciding what is right and what is wrong, and I can be, right? I mean, I may not have all power, but I have lots of power, right? I might not have all knowledge, but I have lots of knowledge, right? God's good, right? We'll come here on, on Sunday and we'll sing, but that's, you know, I'm fine with that. I'm getting on pretty well in my life, <laughs> Bam, right? Sometimes this is exactly what we need, to be reminded that the proper response to the power and holiness of God is reverent submission. But maybe you're at a point in your life where the thing that you need right now is that gentle touch of Jesus. Don't be afraid. Get up. I'm here. Yeah, I'm powerful, but I'm also here, this is my hand on your shoulder. It's all good. Let's go. Baby steps. Peace. Rest. Take my yoke. Right? Sometimes the thing that we need, and maybe this is you right now, you've been running and spinning and turning, and maybe you just need that hand on your shoulder. It's okay. Don't be afraid. God is not either or. God is not just holy or just comforting. That mountaintop reminds us of that holistic reality of who God is. But then I think there's maybe kind of a sweet spot in the middle that sometimes 
uh, maybe more than others, we need to, to find ourselves in, uh, where we affirm this power of God that he is above and beyond, and sometimes we just need to shut up and get on our face. <laughs> and other times, we just need to stand up, and we need somebody who will stand up there with us. But at other times, you go to the next slide, Kevin. We simply need an awareness of the control of God. And maybe that's where these things kind of come together, right? The power of God who's at work and who's moving and who is above and beyond meets this loving tenderness of God that says, get up, don't be afraid, right? And maybe we kind of find ourselves in that middle, an awareness of God's power, a reception of God's comfort, a submission to what God is doing. The beauty of God is that he is not either or. God is all of these things at all of these times. Sometimes it's our job to simply open our eyes to the way that God is speaking and moving for us. So which of these things do you need to hear? Which experience do you need? Do you need to get on your face? Do you need that reverent submission? Do you need that healing touch? Do you just simply need to be reminded that God's in control? God is moving, right? Because God is all of these things for you at this moment. We're gonna close our service by singing uh, a song that I think really brings these thoughts together. It's a song, Matchless. Uh, it's a song that affirms that there is no one like our God who acts and lives and moves like our God. So why don't we stand together, we'll close our service by uh, reflecting on these ideas through music, and then uh, I'll close us in a word of prayer. Let's sing together.